Hello and welcome to CNN Slate. The name CNN Slate pays homage to our ancestral ways of knowledge sharing. Sienna taken from the color of clay, from the earth that was used as a medium and writing tool, and Slate referencing a blank slate, a tablet, or a stone. These are the stories that don't get told anywhere else. Through a collective of deep conversation, storytelling, and sage advice, we celebrate the interconnected aspects of genius, resilience, scholarship, and well-being. For writers, thinkers, and doers, you're in the right place. I'm Dr. Keo, and in this episode, I share this space with Dr. Rick Wallace. Dr. Wallace is a prolific author of 26 impactful books, showcasing his commitment to addressing, addressing profound societal issues. Among his noteworthy works is the recently published Transcendent, Their Remarkable Ability to Rise Above the Chaos to Win in Life. His literary contributions extend to thought-provoking titles such as The War on Black Wealth, uh, Academic Apartheid, The Undoing of the African-American Mind, and The Miseducation of Black Youth in America. In addition to his extensive collection of books, Dr. Wallace has authored numerous scholarly and prose articles highlighting the complexities faced by Black individuals and inner city communities across various dimensions. Noteworthy papers in this repertoire include special education as the mechanism for the miseducation of African youth and racial trauma in African Americans, among so many others. Beyond his literary contributions, Dr. Wallace is a dynamic public speaker. His ability to articulate on a range of subjects reflects his interdisciplinary range. Furthermore, he assumes roles as personal life enhancement advisor, life strategist, consultant, and counselor, offering invaluable insights to those seeking holistic growth. In his capacity as the founder and CEO of the Visionetics Institute, Dr. Wallace employs a multifaceted approach, incorporating multiple methodologies to empower individuals to elevate their performance in crucial aspects of life, spanning finance, relationships, and business. And Dr. Rick's commitment to fostering positive transformation resonates through his diverse and impactful contributions to both literature and personal development. So from all of that, you see why we had to have him on the show today to share his expertise. So welcome to the show, Dr. Rick. I'm so glad we were able to connect. Uh, thank you for having me. It's an honor and a pleasure to be here. Absolutely, absolutely. So your extensive body of work includes, as I said, over 26 books and articles and publications and reflecting a deep commitment to addressing societal issues, especially in Black communities. What's been the inspiration for these topics and your motivation for this type of work? Actually, we are now on book number 27, which is actually <laughs> a follow-up to book number one. Book number one was uh, the Invisible Father, Reversing the Curse of a Fatherless Generation. Book number two, I mean, book number 27 is the Invisible Father Legacy. Mm -hmm. And uh, obviously there are all those in between. The passion that dr drives me comes from an innate almost drive to be better, but to see better. So it's one thing to have this idea that you can do something, that you aren't bound by the things that normally bind people or that people believe bind them. And, and, and then you go to do things. But 
it's entirely a different thing to be able to teach other people to think the same way, to move the same way, to operate the same way. Uh, and in it, find what I think as a black man is so desperately needed within the black community is not only the desire and the urge, but the willingness to discover how to problem solve, how mm -hmm. to see an issue at the core of its causality and say, you know what, this is how it starts. We're going to move beneath the surface and come up with an answer. Uh, and so I'm literally driven by making people better, um, by helping people heal, by helping people improve their performance, by helping people people escape the limiting beliefs that literally govern and set the paradigms that govern their behavior in their lives. So it's what wakes me up in the morning. Yeah, so I would imagine that this motivation and this uh, ability to help people be better has come from your own experiences, right? Yeah. yeah can you share a bit about that? Yes. Um, I was blessed. Um, I call it the gift and the curse. I never knew my father. That's where the invisible father comes from. I never knew my father. Uh, when I say I never knew him, the first time I ever saw my father was at his funeral. Mm -hmm. uh, so I never knew my father and my mother was a 15 year old mother. She had me when she was 15. And so I was literally taken and reared by my great grandparents and <laughs> beyond their years. And, and the background was this innate drive, especially by my gr grandmother early on. And then as I started to grow my grandfather, but, and it's my actual great grandparents. So we're talking about my mom's grandparents, my grandmother's parents. And uh, they literally, my grandmother would always say, you can do anything you can set your mind that you set your mind to. I was never told I couldn't. Uh, and then I took that mindset into school. And in school, I have uh, these teachers at every segment that literally sit up and saw something in me. Uh, I write like my fourth or fifth. I had the same teacher fourth, fifth and sixth grade because I was in an accelerated learning class. And she told me, you're very smart, but nobody will ever know because nobody can understand your writing. And so she kept me after school every day and she taught me how to write. And literally everybody makes fun of me because of how my handwriting is. And I said to her, my seventh grade teacher, Mr. Brewer, taught me punctuality is a step to success. Obedience is a step to success. Uh, discipline, all these different things that made me more disciplined. Uh, Ms. Dewberry uh, was my uh, uh, literature teacher and English teacher, and she told me the word can't would never apply to me. And most importantly, uh, Ms. Williams Leonard, who we just lost a couple of years ago, was my journalism teacher and also the wife of my coach, my football coach. And she knew the story of me not knowing my father and she knew how it impacted me. And she also knew that while my grandparents were very loving, they were three generations removed and the age difference was creating some things. So they would literally come pick me up and spend time with me. And she's the one that urged me to write my first article that got published nationally. I was 16 and it was The Invisible Father, which ultimately became the book. So I hear people all the time talking about self-made and I tell people all the time, <laughs> I don't know what it looks like because all through my life, there were people who put their stamp on my success. And I just want to be a part of that. I want to be I want my legacy to say that I touch lives. And so that's that's the connection. 
Yeah, absolutely. So a lot of your work deals with manhood, fatherhood, um, you know, talking to the generations before, but you also have that connection with intergenerational um, upbringing with your teachers and then your great grandparents that instilled those things in you. So you're essentially reaching back to have those intergenerational conversations with young men as well and, and instilling some of those values that were instilled in you. Is that is that accurate? Right. Um, mm-hmm. Like I said, when I was probably eight, my grandfather came to my grandmother. And again, we're talking great grandfather and great yes. grandmother came to him, came to her and said, from this point, I got it. And at that point, she no longer disciplined me. She no longer did anything. And later on, he would tell me when I asked him, why did he stop her from being a disciplinarian and just only a nurturer? Um mm-hmm. It is, and he said that if I allowed her to continue to do that, you would learn how to be controlled and dominated by a woman and you can never be a leader. Mm. He says a man has to love a woman enough to die for her, but be strong enough to tell her no. Mm. And uh, so, and he dropped, I mean, this is a man with a second grade education, literally born in 1909. So he was literally, you hear the stories, but I literally was reared by the son of a sharecropper. Yes. And so uh, he he had a second grade education because he had to go out in the fields at seven years old and work with his father to make ends meet. But his wisdom was unmatched and his behavior as a man was unparalleled. And so I still measure myself against, Mm -hmm. I lost him on Thanksgiving of 1992. Uh, and he's still missed, but that drive in manhood comes from him. Uh, and it is a push and I'm still striving. And my goal is to just get all of our men to acknowledge our man, acknowledge our humanity, but also mm-hmm. acknowledge an inherent standard that we seem to have lost somewhere. Uh, mm. So that's the push for me. Yes. So speaking of that, there's a connection with mental health then. Mental health and with for sure there has to be a connection there. So speak a bit about how mental health and that connection comes forward, especially in your work and the things that you write about with Black men and Black youth um, and this, this push for mental health. Right. Um, probably 1994. Let's back up a little bit. Um I've been very well read all my life. That comes from my grandmother. Um, I've been reading probably before the average kid read. I was very precocious as a kid. Uh, from the age of five, when we first got the encyclopedia, what was it? Uh, I can't think, World Something Encyclopedia. I remember it, it'll pop into my head in a minute, but we got them. Um, and my grandmother saw that I wanted this. I grew up during a time the encyclopedia salesman literally came by the house. The yes, vacuum cleaner yes, yes. salesman, the milkman, the linen, everybody came by the house. And so mm-hmm. cyclopedia salesman came by, I'm five years old. He's he's doing his pitch and my grandmother's looking at me and my eyes are this big because I loved anything with words on it. And so she bought them. And from the age of five to 10, I read them all. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's just been that thing for me, a quest for knowledge, a quest for knowledge, a quest for knowledge. So then I get to this point where uh, I, I know I'm either going to be a psychologist because I love human behavior or I'm going to be an attorney. 
my 11th grade year, I come home from school and I walk in and on the Phil Donahue show is a lady by the name of Dr. Frances Cress Wilson. Um, and she is defending her Crest theory of color confrontation. Uh, and this is 1985. So this is literally on the heels of the black inferior, the black intellectual inferiority complex thing that they were pushing in the early 80s. So to see a black woman speaking so powerfully and confidently in defense of a theory in front of her white counter male counterparts at that. Yes. Just blew my mind. So I said, oh, it is psychology. And it was full steam ahead. And then I discovered Dr. Amos Wilson, Dr. Naeem Agbar, uh, Dr. Neely Fuller Jr. and some others within that realm. It definitely Dr. Agbar and Dr. Amos Wilson had a major influence on the shaping of how I think and how I move and, and what I observe. Mm -hmm. um, and so my goal just became to learn from them and then to take what they left and build on it. And what where all of this started for me was in the middle of the 90s, that was this argument Back then, it was 30 years ago, so it's been 120-something years. Get over it. Slavery was 120 right. years ago. Get over it. And I knew enough about trauma to understand that without trauma being treated, it, it projects itself. Uh, mm -hmm. What I didn't know would be what I discovered. And so what happened is it started out as an, uh, a research into multi-generational trauma or intergenerational trauma and mm -hmm. how itself. And in the process, I discovered so many things, including epigenetics uh, mm -hmm. and genetic influence of trauma and, uh, and health and all the other things that uh, epigenetics plays a role in. And so then I just started to build on that. And the more I learned, the more I saw the influence. But I also saw that when we talk about epigenetics, we talk about the negative side all the time about negative environmental influences and its impact on genes, negative trauma and its influence on genes and the projection uh, through procreation and environment. Yes. What, what we don't visit is it's a full scope. So in the same way that negative environments creates poor health and poor performance, positive environments create the opposite. So you can really heal yourself by putting yourself in a positive environment and you see the results. So that's been my push. That's been my drive is just to in some way effectively disseminate all this stuff that I've been consuming. Uh, and, you know, it's like I could easily probably write another 25 books. And <laughs> and I'll, I don't I'll, doubt that. I do not doubt that. <laughs> and I'll be writing until, you know, I finally leave this place, just trying to leave something for someone else to pick up and take and, you know, advance it because it's so much to know that no one will ever know it all yes uh, but the more that we invest in it the better we are at helping people uh and i believe that people like yourself and myself uh we have a responsibility to be a blessing in the way that we see it everybody sees blessings on a superficial level i see bless blessings as a means of how i impact you outside of what everybody thinks beyond money mm -hmm. uh beyond what i may be able to give you intangible how do you think about yourself after I deal with you? Mm. It's huge with me. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So then speaking of positive environments and that sort of thing. So then that's what you're creating essentially are these positive environments then for people, black men specifically to come in to find the healing space and then for them to go out and then be a, con a conduit to reach other people 
and heal those communities and those those circles and networks that they're connected to as well. I mean, in in short, yes. Um, and yeah. I think that one of the songs, one of it's it's become one of my favorite songs, and I was just introduced to it a couple of weeks ago. Uh, it's by a Canadian uh, rapper who actually does some singing. He has a country pull to it. And he did the song initially by himself. Then he came back and he did the remix with uh, Darius Rucker, who used to be the okay, lead okay. for Hootie and the Blowfish. Hootie and the Blowfish, yeah. Okay, and Darius is real big in country right now. So they did it. Mm -hmm. And the name of the song is To Be a Man. Okay. And uh, uh, I think the first, the, the, the hook part of it says, I, um, I can't hide myself. I don't expect you to understand, but I hope that I can explain what it's like to be a man. And it goes on to say that they don't really care how we feel. It's only about what we provide in the home. And you talk to men and we feel that way, but we don't have an outlet to say it because the moment I say I'm struggling, I'm weak. Mm -hmm. So the mental pressure that deals from feeling in a world where you were told you're not allowed to feel mm -hmm. comes with and, 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 and we see it and and that's the frustration that i deal with almost daily is we see it the man who explodes kills his wife or his ex-girlfriend mm -hmm. and we see the vitriol and in, in the destruction and we see it and we rightfully judge him for doing something horrible you know, you see it, monster, horrible, uh, yeah. trifling, all these names. And no one ever says that man used to be a three-year-old who mm -hmm. had none of that hatred in them. Mm -hmm. What happened? And you have to be willing to answer that question to deal with that problem. It's not about giving poor behavior a pass. It's about preventing it. But in order to yeah. prevent it, I've got to know how it starts. And it starts mm -hmm. with telling them, young boy real men don't cry telling a young boy that you can't you don't have time to feel you know you you just got to get out there and then what will happen is we'll take that same thing from that song where it says that uh it's not about how you feel but what you provide inside that home mm -hmm. why shouldn't those who i am providing the home for care about how i feel and why should I feel bad? Because I need somebody to care about how I feel. But the the, the average man will teach us to his son. You don't you don't get you you don't have the luxury of feeling. Yes. You go out there and you get it done. That's what men do. Yes. Mm -hmm. But we also have this thing about us that heal. When our women affirm us, mm -hmm. just something as simple as I love the way you do that. Thank you for doing that. You you were so. You don't realize we are wired. We'll run through walls to hear that. Yes. The problem is there's a mindset out there now that says, why should we celebrate you for doing what you're supposed to do? Mm. Not realizing that that celebration is what drives me to do it. And, mm -hmm. and then when it's not there and then I don't have anybody I can talk to. And now we're like, I can't even go tell my boy because when I tell my boy, he going to look at me like, man, suck it up. This is what yes. we do. So now I'm over here suffering on an island mm -hmm. and it doesn't change the impact that it's having 
the neurobiological impact, the genetic impact, the psychological impact that it's having on me. And mm -hmm. one day it just pops. Mm -hmm. And so it, 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 it it's it's something else. But yes. Yeah, I love that. And I, I, I love all these nuggets that you're I hope you all are listening to all these nuggets that he's dropping here, women included. Right. For how to, yeah, navigate this, this sensitive issue and topic that that's sometimes under the surface. Um, and sometimes a lot of men won't openly talk about because of these reasons for, right. for feeling like I'm, I'll be less than or they'll see me as weak or, or whatever right. the narrative may be. So with you wanted to say something. Oh, okay. I was just so, go ahead. real, just just real briefly. And as much attention as I give to our men, obviously I'm a man. I understand it. I live it. Uh, I have a very deep passion for our women as well, uh, especially in the areas of um, childhood sexual abuse, domestic violence. Uh, being a therapist, I spend a lot of time. And because men won't get help, I actually have more female clients. The male clients, because women will seek help. Yeah. Um, whereas, and you got to drag the men in kicking and screaming, uh, or you have to name it something other than therapy. Yeah. So, but yeah. So I I work with both, and I see a love, and I have been an advocate for our women, and I'll say this, and then I'll let you take it. Uh, one of the things I get a lot of pushback on is uh, because we have. So many of our women that are doing such extraordinary things, mm -hmm. uh, and I love the fact that we, that, that that's happening, and I think it's a beautiful thing. And I think we're just scratching the surface. But I will often say and get maligned for it that I absolutely hate hearing the word "strong black woman." Mm. And and immediately someone said, "Well, you don't like strong black women?" I said, "No, I was reared by one." The thing is. Most black women inherit. We they have no option but to be strong. They yes. are strong. It, it, it's not even a question about whether they're strong or not. My problem isn't with celebrating their strength. My problem is every time I hear "strong black woman," is because a black woman is doing something she should not have to do alone. Yes. And so mm -hmm. that means there's a black man somewhere not handling his business. So that's my problem with it. It's not that I don't think my sisters are beautiful and strong and extraordinary. It's that what we are celebrating them for is killing them. Yes, the extra burden. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the extra burden. It, it, that's a whole different topic. <laughs> right, right, yeah. right, right, right. <laughs> The extra burden on Black women. Yes, to stand in the gaps for our children, our families, our communities. Black women on the front lines of all of it. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Every protest, we're there. Every, yeah, every voting thing, we're there. You know, whatever we, PTA, we're there. School, whatever, we, we're we there. Right. Absolutely. I, I saw, I saw, you know, in, in my research and just looking back and trying uh, to be somewhat of a historian. I saw clips of the civil rights movement and the protests and something that I caught and shared with a friend. And we just started to look through the pictures in, 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 in different times and different cities. 
And that was a common factor that I don't think anybody played attention to. How many times black women stepped between cops and dogs and water hoses mm -hmm. to cover men? Yes. And yes. it was like, am I seeing this? So, you, you know, it's like, and it's a natural maternal instinct, even mm -hmm. though these are grown men, the natural maternal instinct is pr to protect the brood. And I think that it's being worn out though. I think that in one of the things that I've been pushing is this thing that I say, we need to learn how as men to love our women back to life. Cause there's a part that dies within you when you start doing what you weren't designed to do. For sure. Right. Yeah, for sure. So this is speaking, this is, this is my jam because I created a darkened narrative inquiry, right? It's a qualitative methodology. Mm -hmm. And and part of the tenets are um, spirituality as a source of strength and a protective barrier. Lives, dreams, and hopes deferred to stand in the shadows for our men and our families. And then the lives of a woman, a person, and then the, the intersectional components of being a black woman. Yeah, absolutely. So all of those things together, and we're having to do all of these at once simultaneously, but also considering how we're also caring for and attending to ourselves, sometimes at the peril uh, of our own well-being and our own yeah. sanity to, to take care of others, for sure. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. So, uh, I, you know, so that's just a portion of the passion. But um, mm -hmm. is I really do appreciate and admire our sisters for what they are and what they do. And this isn't, again, this isn't, and this is the other thing that I see, and I promise I'm gonna give it back to you, but this is the other thing that I no. see uh, is we've become so confused by the external influences and uh, interpolations of ideas that if I praise you, my brothers get upset because it feels like I'm, dissing them or if I go and I talk yeah. and I advocate for black men, black women, immediately come, well, what about? Well, we all are in a place that we don't mm -hmm. we need to find one another because we were built for one another. Mm -hmm. And that's the place I'm at right now is I'm real big on the restoration of the black family uh, yes. as an institution. Uh, and I think that the further we get away from it, the more chaos we are going to experience um, and the easier we're going to be able to manipulate and oppress. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I totally agree. And when we think about the restoration of the Black family and the interconnected aspects of it as well, the, the woman, the man, the children, um, and I get, I, I say this because I know I get, you know, pushback on this as well, but there are some and sometimes to a fault, there are some um, roles that are, <laughs> the boundaries are crossed and mm -hmm. there are some, um, there are some roles that are undefined or blurred. Uh, so then when we think about, well, what is my role here in this relationship, right? So then that has to be redefined and defined over. Right. But then I need to trust you to do what you said you're going to do in order for me to be in my role and to do the things that I need to do, because I can't do it all. I can't do your role, my role and then take care of everything else. And you can't do your role, my role and take care of everything else either. 
So then right. in that defining of what the role is and how I'm how I'm situating myself in this relationship and in this position of the family, if we are going to be a family, then, you know, how are we positioning ourselves to then um, be the best model for us? Whatever that may be. And that doesn't look necessarily the same for every family dynamic. Right. Right. But that's that redefining of those roles and that communication aspect and talking about what this looks like for us and how we are going to be a team in order for us. Yes. To do the things that we need to do as a family unit and then to thrive in this family unit and not necessarily just survive and make it uh, make ends meet and that sort of thing. I know one of your big things is spirituality, but another one of your big things is also financial freedom. Right. So then that's also where this this comes into play about the the roles, the communication, how we work together. Can you talk a bit about that, especially with relationship dynamics? Well, one thing I can tell you is uh, up until recently, the number one cause for divorce was finance, finances. Um, And it can you know, and it doesn't necessarily have to be financial struggle. It can just simply be two people not on the same page, one person having one mindset and construct about finances and another. It's important to discuss finances. It's important to be aware. Um, I often get people who are from the inner city background, you know, so we're talking coming primarily from a place of poverty and they hear me talk about financial literacy. And the first response is, what will that do? You can't do anything if you don't have anything. Well, then that says you need financial literacy because I guarantee you, you can start from where you're at and you can change your life over time, no matter where you're at. Depends upon how you think. Your relationship with money is going to determine your outcome with money. Money is not the controlling factor you are. And when you get into a space with a person uh, uh, to simplify it, an investor and a spender in the same home is catastrophic. One... One wants their money to flow into a an appreciating asset. The other mm-hmm. wants things. Mm-hmm. The other gets excited about things. Dopamine is being released as they buy things, and that dopamine drives the need for more things. The other thinks from a more rational perspective. So they're actually finding a more subtle place, and their driving force from a chemical our neuroreceptor perceptive is going to be serotonin. Two totally different driving forces, two totally different acts. And one is more controllable and managed. The other becomes more and more uncontrollable with time. Uh, This is how we get to addiction. It's through dopamine. Most people don't realize. Yeah, it's great for short bursts and short pairs. But when everything is driving you is dopamine from picking up that phone to everything else, it's going to, you're going to blow your neuroreceptors to smithereens and you're going to be repeating things that have no uh, value based on dopamine because you can't reproduce it. That's how you Mm -hmm. get there. But yeah. So in the relationship, you need someone. And the first thing you have to ask is where are we going? Mm. As much as we are right now, we are not going to be this next year in the way think in the way we move and financially. So where are we going? What are we trying to build? What do we want? What are the values, interests, and principles we are going to teach our children? What are we going to send them out to do based off of mm-hmm. what we've given them? Because we're preparing them to go out into a world that's inherently hostile towards them and expecting mm-hmm. them to win. How are we preparing them? Number one, financially, mm-hmm. we need to catch up because their counterparts 
are going to get head starts with home buying, head starts yes. with uh, education, and so many other things that they're going to start from ground zero from because we didn't prepare them and we didn't set them up right. So what are we doing? And then mm -hmm. you set up and you go, okay, let's get there. And it's again, it's not about where you start. It's about coming together on a clear understanding of where you're going. Then you sit down and strategically, without emotion, plot the path. Now, the path may change because there are things in life you don't control and you can't predict. Mm -hmm. Sure. But, but there has to be an understanding. If at least we're going in the same direction. And we have an understanding. We can't build financial freedom spending, especially when we're spending more than we're earning. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And not investing for sure. Right. <laughs> Absolutely. So with CNN Slate, we talk about uh, resilience. We talk about the interconnections of scholarship. We also talk about well-being. So all of the things, all of the multifaceted issues that you talk about with your career and your scholarship and the things that you're putting out, your books, how are you managing this balance with your intellectual pursuits, writing, speaking, how are you managing? What What is your well-being uh, regimen? Well, number one is I don't buy into my own legend. Um, I challenge myself. The only competition I have is my potential. So I'm not measuring myself against anyone else. And I'm not trying to prove myself to anyone else. Mm -hmm. uh, the scholarship was just me proving to me that I could conquer a world that wasn't built for me. Mm. It had nothing to do with me feeling I needed because most of the stuff that I do, I could do without the diplomas. So it was about me saying, I'm going to come into your world. I'm not going to only come into your world. I'm going to master it. I'm going to become one of the best minds in your world. And then I'm going to go back to my world and use the stuff I learned to teach my people in a way that they can understand. So that part of it is I don't see myself as being better than anyone. Mm -hmm. um, again. That comes from being reared by a man with a second grade education who was wise beyond his years. I'm still trying to get to where he was. And so the diplomas have their place, but they're not that big with me outside of the fact that I did what I said I was going to do. So then I have created this um, spectrum, so to speak, spiritually to where I fuel myself with the very thing that drains me. Mm, tell and, me more about that. Okay, so I'm real big on energy. I'm real big on energy from a measurable scale, not just uh, an abstract idea, but literally something that can be measured on a quantitative scale, but can translate okay. into qualitative uh, possibilities. So then, in other words, everything, everything I think, everything I say has an energy that can be measured on a hertz scale. Literally, my mm -hmm. thoughts are emitting energy and I control that. Mm -hmm. So then what happens is I get excited about helping people. Helping people requires energy. I'm expending mm -hmm. energy, but the joy I get in helping somebody replenishes the energy that I spend. And mm -hmm. there's a thing that I always say when I'm when I'm doing a video, when I'm doing a lecture or whatever, I normally end my speech with I live my life on full so that when I die, I die on E. I, I, I try to optimize every waking moment of my day. It doesn't mean I spend if I'm awake 16 hours and I'm just using a number If I'm awake 16 yeah. hours. 
I'm not working 16 hours, but every last second has purpose. So I'm going to work a certain amount of time. Mm. I'm probably going to take a nap so that I can refresh my mind and be sharp enough to close my day. I'm going to have family mm-hmm. time. I'm going to have time with my buddies at the cigar shop and mm-hmm. it's all mapped out and it's it's given. So in other words, I'm never going to have just this time. Where I'm just idling, sitting around twiddling my thumbs with no. It's going to be meditation. It's going to be prayer. It's going to be journaling. It's going to be growing myself because my, my mantra is no zero days, no excuses. And that means every day I have to become better than I was the day before. And so it's the combination of learning how to feed off of my own energy and efforts to replenish myself. Uh, and that's what literally drives me. So it's that balance. But it's also in my latter years learning how to unplug. I could be mm-hmm. sitting there and I could say, you know what? I'm going hard until five and then I'll get to yes. a point. Or like, for instance, uh, I went through a divorce almost two years ago. Me and my wife broke up and anybody knows me, I'm real big on family. So this was a real hard time for me. It was mm-hmm. probably the most devastating thing I've, I've faced in my life. And, and, um, Luckily, as a therapist, I have a therapist. I've same guy for years. And, you know, we sit down and talk. We're friends now. And and I talked to him and he says, man, as much as I know you love your wife, I think that you're actually mourning your role as a husband Mm. more than you're mourning the loss of the wife. Not that you don't love her, but I think you're just like completely like a fish out of water because that reminds you so much. And it did. So what happened is that hit me. Uh, then um, that that was April when we first broke up. The divorce was final in October. I lost my younger brother to cancer in November. This is last year. And I said, you know what, man, this is becoming overwhelming. So the first time, and I don't know how long, I started January of this year on a mental health break. I took okay. I took two weeks. It started off being a week. And it was so nurturing and I, I was really starting to feel better. I took two weeks and then I decided, you know what? Every Tuesday is a mental health day. So I don't take clients on Tuesday. Uh, mm-hmm. I'll still do things, but it's always on my pace at my scale. Nothing, nothing heavy. Mm-hmm. And then come around this year uh, at the end of September, September 30th, I lost my mom. Mm-hmm. And so the holidays have never been good. Cause remember I told you my grandfather passed away on Thanksgiving. So the holidays and and it's just like, what is it about this time of the year? But what I've learned is how to unplug. So the balance of all of that, you know, knowing how to go hard in the paint, get the most out of myself, but knowing when to take care of myself, knowing when Mm -hmm. you're starting to diminish yourself, pull Mm -hmm. back, sit back, people, everybody will catch up when you catch up. And so that that's been uh, working pretty good for me over the last year and a half. Yeah. So I want to know what specifically did you do for those, that first week? And then when you extended it to the second week, what was that regiment like? That mental health break? Oh, it was real, real, real simple. Um, I woke up in the morning. First thing I, I do when I wake up in the morning before I move is I say thank you. First thing out of my mouth is thank you every morning. Mm-hmm. Second thing is I am grateful for this moment. 
Okay. Uh, I don't pick up my phone. And this is even when I'm not on sabbatical. Uh, mm -hmm. I don't pick up my phone for the first hour. Uh, I believe that when you pick up your phone in the morning, you surrender your personal sovereignty to whatever is on that phone. Now, mm. if it's some good news, you're going to have a great day. If it's some bad news, your whole day shot because you're yeah. set the state in the morning when you get up, you're setting your state for the day. So I, I set my state. So I journal. I speak nothing but positive things about my life and myself. Uh, I affirm who I am and believe myself to be. Uh, and then I move into a space of relaxation, uh, positive conversations. I search out people who make me smile. I search out people mm -hmm. who will reaffirm what I say about myself. And the truth of the matter is, I don't believe in yes men. I don't want anybody that's going to tell me I'm right when I'm wrong. But yes. I do want people around me that will tell me I am who I think I am. Yes. You know. So mm -hmm. and that's two totally different things for people who don't understand the person. The yes man is the person that you're dead wrong. They know you're wrong, but they want to keep the friendship. So they tell you you're right. That's it. I don't mm -hmm. want that. But the person that says, this dude is brilliant in this area. And they constantly say this dude is brilliant. It's just a reminder because sometimes yes. you get so caught up in everything that's going on. You'll forget and you'll get caught up and life will start telling you lies about yourself. And mm -hmm. you need somebody to say, dude. Mm -mm. Yeah. And one thing about your husband is in his subtle ways, just the way he moves, he's one of those people. That's why I love the cigar shop. Because guys yeah. tell me, now we're going to give each other the business. We are. <laughs> no bad noise. But we also know how to talk each other up. Yes. And yes. that's a rare place because we don't have many sp spaces like that. So that's it for me. It's like Finding positivity, avoiding negativity at all cost, uh, mm -hmm. and literally just flowing with what my heart tells me. Am I going to the park? You know, oh, and I spend a lot of time in the gym. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So the physical, mental, spiritual, emotional health, they're all connected in this walk that you do for your, your self-care routine. Yes, yeah. absolutely. Absolutely. So largely our audience are academics, right? So then we talk about academic well-being and you having gone on this academic journey, especially to a terminal degree, do, going to the highest. Yeah, right. So thinking about that as well, what's what's a nugget you could give to our academics that are in this space, sometimes a toxic space um, where there is competition, where there is publish and perish, where there is I don't think I want to do this work anymore, but I feel like I'm stuck in this space. What what's a nugget that you could give to them? This will sound cliche-ish, uh, but I literally live by it. Be true to yourself. Know your why. Mm -hmm. Why are you in this space? Is it because somebody told you that you needed to be? Is it because that's what's expected of you? Family, parents, you know, whatever. Um, is it where you think you can get money? Because let me tell you, you're in the wrong place, first and foremost, compared to what you can do in so many other spaces. Um, and the first thing is to know your why. Your why has to be big enough to push you through all these things that you're going to go through. If your why isn't big enough, then you're going to meet these points where you're going to be overwhelmed. You're going to question yourself and you're going to want to quit. 
Uh, yes. To me, academics isn't about intelligence. And people say, what are you talking about? It's about perseverance. Mm -hmm. Especially when you move up into uh, the higher, uh, higher levels of uh, attainment. It is about hearing that's not good enough. You're going to have to change this. Go back and do this. And hearing it and going like, my God, I just did all this. And, and, and then having somebody pick apart your work that you thought you wrote excellently until you know this is the, and, 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 and then just keep showing up. But you yes. know what I love about having two doctorate degrees? Not the degrees. It's the fact that I finished. <laughs> that somebody kept saying no. And I didn't quit. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that's the thing. You know, I say it kept saying, no, it wasn't that bad. But it was, I've, I've, I've gotten some people through a lot worse in getting their degrees. And that's another thing that I, I've helped a lot of people uh, get through uh, setting up their research, uh, making sure it, mm -hmm. uh, all the way through the defense and uh, all that stuff. And I've seen some things where I'm like, God, they're just being ridiculous. And again, for the people who are pursuing doc, what you got to realize is, that's right. If you can pick your panel and your board, do so. Because, for sure. because you got people who have worked their butt off to get those credentials and letting anybody in is not going to be easy for them because they want to feel like Somebody worked as hard as they worked. Mm -hmm. And you've got to understand, you're not just dealing with facts and all the stuff that you need to know. You're dealing with an ego. Mm -hmm. And, you've and got personality. Know, right. Mm -hmm. And you and, and I think that's one of the things that really helped me out is the behind the scenes communications with each person that allowed me to develop relationships and not come across threatening. And yeah. so all of that stuff is about navigating life, but it's a great life teacher. If you can finish, mm -hmm. it tells you you can finish. And that's what mm -hmm. life is about to me. It's about finishing. It, 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 it's about saying I'm going to get something. And I say this and it's very, very raw. Um, and uh, it probably doesn't permeate with academics as much, but it's raw and it's it represents the uh, genesis of my journey and it's when i set my mind to do something there are two options i'm going to do it or i'm going to die mm. it's that simple i don't take on anything that i'm not willing to go all the way into death to finish and it teaches me how not to pick up trivial stuff too exactly Exactly. It, it makes you consider being intentional about what you say yes to. Exactly. Because if it's not, if it's not a hell yes, then, then I'm not doing it because I'm not going to be all in and I'm only going to give a piece of myself to this work. Absolutely. So then you're very intentional about what you're choosing to spend exactly. your time and energy on and then what you're putting your name to as well. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that's so good. I have thoroughly enjoyed our conversation today and all of the nuggets that you have that you have dropped for us today. You have a couple of books um, that I am going to purchase from you so then I can give to my reader or to my viewers um, and to my followers. So stay tuned for how you can get access to those books from CNN Slate that 
um, we're going to get from Dr. Rick. One last thing that we like to do before you leave us for today is an off-the-cuff segment. Okay. So it's where someone gives us a random question and we ask you a random question. Um, so I ask Eric for his random question. <laughs> and so his random question for you. So shout out to my honey, Eric. Uh, his random question for you is, what do we do next as we mentor Black men and youth? Oh, man. Good question, E. Um, <laughs> the first step is to be present. It is to be willing to be transparent as men. Uh, I think one of the greatest things that we can do to younger men is to show them our vulnerability, uh, mm -hmm. to show them that that hard exterior that the world sees underneath that is someone who cares, who loves, who feels, and it's nothing wrong with that. Um, it is for us to come back to what we've abdicated in many ways, and that's our role as men to be the masculine energy. Uh, and when I talk about manhood, I'm talking about first and foremost, to be a protector. And most people aren't used to hearing that because when they hear manhood, they want to hear provider. Yes. And when I'm teaching young boys in Black Man Lead, which is a rite of passage initiative about manhood, I tell them before you're ever mentally and emotionally capable of earning a living, you're physically capable of protecting. When you go through puberty, you when you start puberty, you, you're about the same size as the girl that's your age. She may even beat you up growing up in elementary. But all of a sudden you get to puberty and you start to get older, you start to develop a deeper voice, you become more muscular, stronger, taller. And why is that? It's because you were designed to protect her. You are physically coming into yourself. So first you, you are a protector, then you are a provider, which is a part of a covering. You are to spiritually cover her, you are to physically cover her, you are to emotionally cover her. And in that covering, this whole thing that people love to argue about, this whole submission thing that people love to argue about is actually trust. It's mm -hmm. not her being submissive in the sense of you're the boss of me. It's saying, I trust your leadership. I trust that you're not going to take me anywhere that's going to harm me. And that comes mm -hmm. from covering. So as men, we need to, first of all, learn how to cover. And that means we have to remove ourselves from the emotional re reaction thing that we tend to do that. We're, we're emotional, but we don't react to it. We can't react to it. We've got to know that our decisions have the power to destroy or yes. to protect. And so that's the first step is to literally sit up and say, I'm going to be a protector, a provider. And I, I use five P's uh, because even if people aren't a part of the church, they understand them. The first P mm -hmm. is protector. Second P is provider. The third P is uh, is uh, promoter. And people say, what do you mean? A man isn't walking around promoting himself. A real man is promoting those in his house, just like he promoted you to me. My mm -hmm. wife, my wife, my wife, my wife, my kids, my kids. Why? Because as he promotes them, he elevates them. He edifies, edifies them. If you look mm -hmm. at Proverbs 31, they say that he is respected at the gate because of what? Her, because he edified her. Yes. He lifted her. And then in turn, her position and her way she looks at him is important. I also 
uh, was taught a long time ago that you can discern the character of a man by observing the continence of his woman. Mm. Uh, when I mention E's name, I watch him. Mm. And it tells me everything I need to know about him if I didn't know him. Yes. And, and that's the important, that's what we need to be. So you get protector, uh, provider, uh, promoter, then you get uh, priest. And people say, what, what, what priest, what do you mean? I mean, while my wife, when I'm married, is going to outpray me because that's just what women do. Mm -hmm. I'm still the direct line between God and my house. And I've got to have such a relationship that everything that comes, comes through me. And that's what a priest is. I'm the one before God, not saying do this, do this, all the stuff that my mama going to pray for all that stuff. Give me the strength to lead. Give me the vision to guide. Give yes. me what I need. Let me be where I need to be. Cover this house. Mm -hmm. that finally, he's a prophet. And they say, what does that mean? The prophet means that not in the sense of I can predict things, not in, in, in the gift of prophecy, but in the order of prophet. What does a prophet do? A prophet speaks. A man speaks into the life of his family. He speaks into her mm -hmm. life. He tells her she can when she thinks she can. He tells her you can do this. You are exceptional. Yes. You are extraordinary. You are phenomenal. And he does the same thing for his kids. He's speaking life. Mm -hmm. And that part of it, it, that's when you've got that, you've got the foundation on which you can build. And then I close it with this. We have got to stop thinking that headships mean, headship means being on the top. It means being on the bottom. Everything rests on the foundation. That cannot be anything strong without a foundation. We have to be willing to be that person that's the foundation. And when we start doing that on a grand scale, when we start walking it, preaching it, living it, coming back to the community and saying, that's not it. And mm -hmm. demanding one another, then we'll start to see a change. But ultimately, if we don't recover the family, mm -hmm. it's going to be hard to do because that's where we teach all this. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. And then that's where the healing comes is through the family. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We heal our communities through our family, through our connections. It's all interconnected. And that's the thing that some people don't see. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I love it. I love it. I love it. Thank you so much. So where can we find you? Where can we, where can we celebrate you? What are you working on that we can, that we can just support um, business research, whatever it is, where, where can we right. find you and support you? Right now, uh, the biggest thing I'm pushing is I'm trying to do a fundraiser for an 18-month research project that we have going through the Odyssey Projects Research Center. Uh, it's mm -hmm. on uh, male mental health, and it's focused on uh, the imp studying the impact of not having access for Black males who are over the age of 18 who are struggling with major psychosis. So we're talking about schizophrenia, bipolar disorder, mm. things that ma majorly impact their behavior. And what happens because we're seeing a track towards prison and homelessness. And okay. that negatively impacts the community and the home at large. And so we're yes. looking at that. The goal is to develop and, and pull the uh, empirical data to put together a proposal or a presentation to legislators to create policies because once a person becomes 18 you can no longer force them to get mm -hmm. treatment but 
if I don't know I need treatment because my psychosis tells me it's you and not mm -hmm. me, then mm -hmm. the chance of getting treatment and then that you go to the you go to authorities and you sit up and you go, well, we need to do this. Well, we can't do anything. Uh, it, we can't do anything involuntary unless they are a threat to themselves or to someone okay. else. And that normally requires them to do something that's either going to get them locked up or they harm themselves. And mm -hmm. that's, you know, uh, after mm -hmm. the fact, we need that. So that's where that at. So we're at, we're doing a fundraiser on that, but you can find me at the Odyssey project, uh, the Odyssey project 21.top. Uh, and it's all the stuff there. You can email me uh, directly at CEO at the Odyssey Project 21.top. Or you can just put support instead of CPO. I mean, CEO mm -hmm. and support team who may be able to get to you quicker uh, with questions. Yes. But that's it. Uh, and again, there's all the books and stuff out of there. But right now, that's my passion is trying to get a handle on what's going on with our men so that we can take care of our women because. Until we get our men straight, we can't really focus on. I mean, outside of saying we're not going to accept mistreatment of our women, mm -hmm. we have to get our men to a point where we're functional because yes. the society as a whole will allow our women to be affluent because they understand the dynamic. Without mm -hmm. the male, they can make money. We can put them in different places. Mm -hmm. This is still a patriarchy. Mm -hmm. so Absolutely. So so that's the thing that we have to look at. So, yeah, uh, and getting I, the men the resources that they need in order for our families to thrive. Because without without men in our homes, I mean, the family cannot continue on, right? And just the race dies. Yeah, that that's how it that's how it works. That, that mm -hmm. is the biggest concern. We are on a rapid path, uh, projectively to by the year twenty fifty four to be completely irrelevant as a mm -hmm. race country if we don't change something uh yes that's that's coming quicker than you think and mm -hmm. so that means sure. my, my grandkids won't have the same situations i have with and so instead of it getting better it got worse mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah yeah yes thank you dr rick i really appreciate our time together and like I said, if we can do anything to, to help you on your endeavors and all of your links and resources will be in the show notes for our people to just click um, directly to you without having to go and search for you. Okay. So as we end our time together, thank you for listening and watching. Please subscribe to the show, share it with a friend, write a review and leave a five-star rating and follow us on social media as well. If you have an idea for the show or would like to be a potential guest, um, or are interested in learning more about Sienna and Slate, reach out to us at hello at siennaandslate.com. And we'll see you soon. Be well.